I wonder if you know these famous words. They were the best of times and they were the worst of times. Does anyone know who said that? Does anyone recognize it? Sorry, Charles Dickens, that's correct, yes. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. And then he goes on. That's not even the end of the sentence. Uh, it's got more. I mean, he says, says how at the time he's writing about, it's exactly the same as the time he's living in, which I think is exactly the same as the time today, where if anyone wants to say anything, it's got to be either the worst or the best. There's no middle ground. Can't say things are all right. We either hate it or we love it. Uh, and that's, he's giving this description about life, isn't he? Where it's black or it's white. And different people will interpret it in completely different ways. And people will have a completely different experience of what ultimately is the same time they're living in, the same place. Now, this is from his book, the Tale of Two Cities. This is the opening line from The Tale of Two Cities. And one of the things that plays into this is that there's two cities and people who live in these two cities have a very different experience set during the French Revolution this between the cities of London and Paris. But it's interesting, isn't it, the way that people can be side by side, just going about the ordinary things of business, of life, of family, and yet we can have polar opposite interpretations and experiences of the world. Uh, in, this, in this series, we're, we're looking at Romans 8, which is really a majestic high point of the book of Romans. We've worked through Romans 1 to 7 last year, and we've seen Paul explaining how the gospel works, how it is that God saves sinners, how he makes them right in his sight. And now he's unpacking what does it mean for us to be in this situation where we're right in God's sight? How does it change our experience of life? And even though we live the everyday, we rub shoulders with each other. Romans 8 says it's going to finish with this triumphant note that we are more than conquerors in Christ. More than conquerors. Even though it may not always look like it. It may not always feel like it. But there is this key truth to who we are now because God has made us right in his sight through Jesus. We are more than conquerors. We're going to build up to that. We're not going to get there today. But today we are unpacking the reality that we're living in the hustle and bustle with people on a very different interpretation to us. It's almost like we're in different worlds, side by side, parallel universes, with those who see and understand the truth that Paul's been talking about and those that don't. 
with those that want to follow Jesus and those that don't. If you've got Romans 8 there, we're going to read it together, uh, having, starting from verse 5. Here it is. Paul writes, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Can you see what, what Paul's doing, how he's painting the picture of these two different scenarios? There's two different worlds going on at the same time. He calls them realms, the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. And what kind of, we see kind of movies that have parallel universes involved. I watched uh, one of the Ghostbusters movies with our kids last week. And it's kind of that thing where there's the normal world that we live in and then there's the ghost world and there was this portal that opened between the two and chaos ensued. Uh, and that's kind of like the idea, but not quite, because here the two worlds fully interact all the time. There's no kind of barrier between them. The people that we live amongst, that we rub shoulders with, the people in our workplaces, in our families, potentially even people within our gathering right here, belong in opposite worlds. Well, let's unpack. Paul kind of talks about it all together, but I thought it might be helpful if we just put them side by side so we can see what are the differences between these two worlds. There's the world, first of all, of the flesh, the realm of the flesh, and the realm of the spirit. What does it mean by saying the realm of the flesh? Is he talking about the physical world and the spirit world? No, that's not what's going on here. He's not making that distinction between kind of flesh and blood and the spirit. What he's making the distinction between is the flesh is talking about our sinful fallenness. In some Bibles, it's translated the sinful nature. There's the world where the sinful nature is the key distinctive. And there's the world where the spirit, and not just kind of spirituality, but the spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's own spirit, where that is the key distinctive. What are they like? Well, what are the things we see 
in each case, there's people who live according to these things. There's people who live according to the flesh, the sinful nature, where that plays out in their lives, in their actions, in their speech, in their relationships, in what happens. And those in the realm of the Spirit, well, they live according to the Spirit, where it is influential on their lives, on their speech, on their relationships, on their actions. And it's not just the the lives, the hearts of people, the drivers, the desires are shaped in each case. The people who live according to the flesh do so because their minds are set on what the flesh desires. That drives their motivations. The people who live according to the Spirit do so because their minds are set on what the Spirit desires. Their will and their decision-making comes from the desires. We normally talk about desires residing in the heart, but it's quite common in the ancient world for mind and heart uh, to be used in different ways to how we use them today. They often talk about the stomach too. We don't do as much. Uh, But their minds are shaped differently in these two worlds. We will think differently and love differently. There's a different way of conceiving the world. I don't know if you've experienced this. Have you had a conversation with someone who is not a follower of Jesus, someone who doesn't trust Jesus, and you talk in the same words and you can even you can move through kind of logical progressions about things about the state of the world and yet they just end up with completely opposite conclusions about things. And you're trying to trying to get them to understand your point of view and they don't. Have you been in that experience where people, you just can't see eye to eye with them? Well, this is the Bible describes that their minds are, they're set from a different angle, set by the fallen sinful nature. Now remember, that's, that's, that's all of us at one time, isn't it? That's our natural state of being. And the only reason why we can think differently, why we can understand the world differently is because God's Spirit has been at work in us. And so we're able to see what God sees of the world. We're able to understand the value of what God values in the world. We're able to love what God loves. Let's keep going. Uh, What else? It's not only that our minds shape our desires in this way by either the flesh or the spirit, but it talks about our minds being governed, being ruled by these two influences, flesh or spirit. And how does this, how does this play out? What does it look like? Uh, what are the effects of this? Well, in the case of the flesh, The mind governed by the flesh, Paul says in verse 6, is death. 
Now, I don't think this is, he's not saying just using hyperbole the way as a teacher you say, I've got year nine after lunch, that is death. Uh, he, he's saying there's a literal connection between the realm of the flesh and death, mortality. And that's a theme we've seen all the way through the Bible. God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of it, you will die. And in disobedience, driven by the desires of the flesh, seeing that it was good for eating, they chose death. And death is not just something that happens at the end of life. Death is something that infects and shapes life, doesn't it? And we know this in different ways. We experience it in different ways. But the mind governed by, by the flesh, it's like it's already spiritually dead. It doesn't have that spark of life that it needs. It's already living in in a way that is dead. Contrast the mind governed by the spirit, Paul says, is life and peace. And again, not just at, at the end consequence, although that's part of it, there will be this future of life and peace for those who are in this category, in the realm of the spirit. But it also affects now. There is a peace to being governed by God's spirit in a way that being governed by the flesh is destructive and works against life, being governed by the Spirit is good. Jesus said, I've come to that you may have life and have it to the full. True life. Good life. It's not not just a life that satisfies the desires of the body, that hedonistic kind of get as much pleasure as you can. True life and peace only comes from being governed by God's Spirit. Paul continues to unpack this. Uh, The other consequences of being governed by the flesh is that People are hostile to God. People don't and can't submit to God's law. They're his enemies. Now, this raises a question. If, if we're living in a world where there's these two realms overlapping, rubbing against each other all the time, and we're seeing the people in the realm of the flesh can't follow God's instructions and they're hostile to him, and their mind's governed by the flesh, can people in, this, in the realm of the flesh, can they actually do good? Can they truly love? Can they be kind? Can they be truly generous? Oh, they can't please God. What do you think? Can unbelievers, can they really do this? Even though Paul says they're hostile to God, 
They can't submit to his rules. They cannot please God. This is a thing sometimes philosophers and Christians have argued about, wrestled with. And I want to say, I want to say the answer is yes. Experientially, I have to say yes. I've seen it. I've experienced genuine kindness. I've experienced loving actions. I've seen real generosity from people who aren't in the realm of the Spirit. But I also want to say there's a big but, isn't there? There's a big but that makes sense where Paul's coming from. I want you to imagine, just take a scenario, imagine a farmer, a hard-working farmer. Here's his farm. That's where he lives. Well, right, well, there it is. That's his farm. Uh, it's, not, it's not the best track of land, but he works hard at it. He has planted his seeds. He has watered faithfully. He spends hours looking after the soil in order to raise the crop and feed, well, and to contribute to the local economy in order to earn money for his family, to provide for them. He works hard. And this, these acts are good and faithful. And there's a way that he is stewarding well the ground that he's been entrusted with. And we think, yeah, that's, that's good. But what if I tell you these plants here, they're cocoa, cocoa plants. And his farm is actually run by the cartels. And after his leaves are harvested, they're used to make cocaine. Is he doing good? Well, ultimately, in the, we have to say no, don't we? There's, there's still the ability to do actions that are good. But because he lives in the realm of the cartel, overall, we would not be pleased with his work, would we? We think we would, would say that's probably the wrong career path to go on. It's better to, it's wrong to apply your efforts and strength in that way. And so it is with God for those who are in the realm of the flesh. Even though they have actions that are good, they're able to be faithful, they're able to be generous, they're able to love. Overall, they're, ex they're still exercising these, these actions in opposition to God, in the realm that is hostile to God. They're working as his enemies. And so when Paul says, in the realm of the flesh, they cannot please God. He can't see any of these actions and accept them as good. Well, 
Paul is focused a bit more on the realm of the flesh to begin with, but now partway through he turns and he, he starts to address the, the church in Rome directly. In verse 9, he says, You, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. There's these two realms. What's the, what's the key marker he uses to distinguish? He says, you're not in the realm of the flesh, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Here's the distinction. Those in the realm of the flesh don't have God's spirit living in them. Those in the realm of the, of the spirit do. God himself is at work in them, dwells in them. And notice the way Paul talks about this here, just as quick as quick aside, he talks about it in verse, verse 9, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, in the very next sentence, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's the way he's just paralleling the Spirit of God with the Spirit of Christ. He's not talking about two different spirits. He's talking about one and the same thing, in different language. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. It's one more way the Bible though talks about Jesus' divinity. It's the same Spirit. But he makes this very clear, isn't it? That if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. If you do have the Spirit, you do belong to Him. As Christians, uh, we ought to be careful in how we speak about the Spirit and people having the Spirit because I've heard, I've heard Christians sometimes say things that I'm sure unintentionally has, has the effect of kind of creating, implying that there's two types of Christians. There's those who have the Spirit and those that don't. There's those, they talk about things like being baptized with the Spirit as a, as a distinguishing mark, and there's Christians who haven't been baptized with the Spirit and those who have. Or there's Christians who aren't full of the Spirit and there's those who are. But here, Paul is speaking clearly, there's, there's Christians. There's those in the realm of the Spirit who have the Spirit of Christ, who belong to Christ. And there's those that don't. And we, we ought to be careful with our words because sometimes I think uh, some people can feel like they're being accused of not being Christians at all. Um, if people use that kind of language of being filled with, with, with Christ, being filled with the Spirit, is that implying that um, I don't belong to Christ? Someone thinks I haven't been filled with the Spirit? Paul says, if you are in this realm, if you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ. And then he unpacks a little bit more. What does it mean? As we live side by side, these, these worlds overlapping, one of the realities is that even though the mind controlled by the Spirit is death, the mind governed by the Spirit is death. 
Death is still the experience of those in the realm of the Spirit. Death still has an effect over our mortal bodies, Paul says. And we know that, don't we? We die. Christians die. People who love Jesus die. We all live under the curse that fell after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But Paul doesn't leave us there. Even though our bodies are subject to death because of sin, our mortal bodies will live. They will receive life from the Spirit because of righteousness. What what righteousness is this? Be careful. We've been reading Romans chapters 1 to 7. We can't forget that when we read chapter 8. This righteousness isn't our righteousness that we've earned, that we have presented to God in our resume saying, look how righteous I am, so please make me alive. No, it's God's own righteousness that Jesus has achieved through his perfect life that gets counted to our, our account. Not because we deserve it, but because we are willing to trust in faith. And so because of this, we can hope. With a sure assurance, a sure assurance, that's tautology, isn't it? We can hope being fully assured. But though we will die, our bodies wear out and will not live forever. The Spirit will raise our mortal bodies again. He's done it before. He raised Christ from the dead. And he's promised to do it again. Two worlds going on, overlapping. Two realms. Different ways of thinking, different ways of desiring, different ways of living, different futures. As we read this, this ought to shape our expectations of the world when we look around us. We ought to expect to be in and amongst people from each of the worlds. We ought to expect that as we experience these differences, we're not going to find alignment. We're going to be out of sync with people who are in the other realm because they will have different ways of thinking. Their minds will be governed by the flesh, not the spirit. They'll be striving to live in ways that are different. So we ought to expect this difference, not be surprised when we can't understand someone's rationale, why they can't follow our logic, why they're not convinced by the things that convince us. Ultimately, what's going to make the difference from one realm to the other? It's if they have the Spirit of God 
isn't it? That's what's going to change, enable someone to their mind to be governed by the Spirit. Knowing this difference, though, we as we rub shoulders together and as we, we misalign, sometimes that will mean that there's, there's tension or conflict. We need to remind ourselves which one we belong to. And if we find ourselves just being caught up with the, the crowd, going with the flow, sometimes we need to, oh no, hang on, am I being led here by the desires of the flesh? Or am I being led by what the Spirit desires? Is it Christ's Spirit who is governing me? It's a hard question to ask in the heat of the moment, in the, in the midst of it, isn't it? Especially when there's all the momentum of the crowd, of society, of our world around us. But we, we need to ask ourselves that question. We need to look at our own desires and say, why am I doing this? Why am I making these choices? Is it just because everyone else is doing it? Because everyone else isn't being led by the Spirit of God. Am I doing it because, well, there's that sinful desire of the flesh that still lingers, even though now the Spirit is in me and I belong to Him. Is there still that, that latent habit way of thinking, desire that I haven't yet put to death. We, we've got to keep calibrating ourselves to the Spirit. We're going to look more at that next week. What does it mean to put to death the desires and deeds of the flesh? But for now, we've got, we've got to have this awareness. Keep thinking about the realms where we belong. And it means we can look on death as temporary. That's the other thing Paul brings out here. We know death will come to our mortal bodies, but it's not something that should terrify us because we know it's temporary because we know the promise of God to raise us because we Trust. Well, I started with the tale of two cities. And the two cities is actually, it's an image that the Bible uses to talk about these two different realms in a different place. In, in Revelation, uh, in chapter 18, it talks about the city of Babylon, uh, emblematic of the realm of the flesh. And then in chapter 20, 21, it talks about the heavenly city of Zion. It's the realm of the spirit. And it contrasts the way, the way things play out. And I'd like to dig into that analogy further, but that would be a whole another sermon series and uh, not going to fit it in today. If you want to read more about it, though, a great place to start is a book called The City of God by the church father, Augustine. And he writes a whole book about these different realms, these different cities, using that analogy. 
I want to finish, though, with these words talking about this spiritual city from Hebrews chapter 11. It's talking about Abraham's family. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking about the country they had left, they'd have plenty of opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we pray that you would open our eyes more and more to the reality of these two realms intersecting, overlapping, rubbing against each other in our lives. Please help us to know clearly which one we belong to. In faith, trusting Jesus, being governed by your spirit, having the hope of resurrection. And Lord, please shape us more and more by your spirit so that we would live more fully in this realm, more consistently in this realm, and know more fully the experience of life and peace that's only available from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.